welcome to today's episode of the Miso TV podcast. In today's episode, we discuss radiation oncology in the context of mesothelioma treatment. We are joined by Drs. Chuck Simone of the New York Proton Center, Andreas Rimner from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and Ken Rosenzweig of Mount Sinai in New York. MesoTV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. This season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Balakin Fox, Bristol Myers Swib, Novacure, Merck, the Gory Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Meisenkothen. Hi, thank you for joining me today on this episode of Meso TV. Um, we're doing a radiation oncology panel today, um, discussing some of the topics that I get asked most from patients who are potentially facing um, having radiation therapy. I'll just go ahead and let you guys introduce yourselves first um, and let us know where you're from and what your specialty is. If you want to start, Dr. Simone. Sure. My name is Chuck Simone. I'm a radiation oncologist focusing on mesothelioma and other thoracic malignancies. I'm the chief medical officer at the New York Proton Center and also work at Memorial Sun Kettering. Thank you. Dr. Rimner? Hi, I'm Andreas Rimner. I'm a thoracic radiation oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. I'm the director of thoracic radiation oncology research here and uh, a specialist in mesothelioma. Thank you. And Dr. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ken Rosenzweig. I'm a radiation oncologist at Mount Sinai in New York. Uh, I too specialize in lung cancer, mesothelioma, and other thoracic malignancies. And I'm also chair of the department here. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today. We really appreciate you being on this. Um, I get asked a lot of questions um, daily about radiation therapy, so I thought this would be a good one to do. I guess I'd like to start off just first discussing the different types of radiation therapy. Um, we get a lot of questions about proton versus photon, um, external beam, um, the intensity modulated radiation therapy, and then some of the newer ones that are coming into the space. Um, so if you guys just want to sort of start with that, that would be great. Dr. Simone? Sure. And you know, I don't know that I would use the word versus for any of them. I think they're all complementary modalities and it really different disease presentations will dictate what treatment we think is best for patients. The large majority of patients, you know, 98, 99% of courses in, the radi in radiation oncology with external beam radiation coming from a machine are delivered with what's called photon therapy. It's essentially x-ray radiation. It's generated from a machine. It's delivered into a patient, hits a tumor, and then goes out the other side of a patient. And it could be very effective. And there are a lot of different bells and whistles machines that could uh, allow some things like you mentioned, intensity modulated radiation therapy, where we can essentially bend radiation dose around critical structures to help to reduce side effects for patients. A less common type of radiation uh, that I focus on a little bit more is called proton therapy, which is a heavier charged particle. So unlike regular radiation, that's a light particle that goes through and through patients, 
we can now actually use magnets to set the radiation to be deposited at a specific area, such as the tumor, and not have radiation go beyond that. So it doesn't go through and through patients anymore. So in certain cases, it may help to allow for fewer side effects. Uh, but again, depending on exactly what we're treating. Uh, I guess the, the last major modality, also a type of photon treatment, is something called stereotactic body radiation therapy, where we may want to deliver very, very high doses in just a couple of days to a certain area, such as an isolated area of a, a pleural uh, mass, for instance, where you're not treating a large, large volume of treatment. And that's a very effective treatment, but also is just done in a couple of days as opposed to typically a few weeks like traditional radiation is. Thank you. Dr. Rimner, anything else that you wanted to add to that? Um, yeah, I think the, the field of radiation oncology is partially responsible for having caused a lot of confusion with a lot of different acronyms, um, <laughs> SBRT, SABER, CyberKnife, uh, IMRT, IMPRINT. Uh, so what is, what is important is that I think radiation is very operator dependent. It is depending on who designs the radiation field. Everyone can have a nice modern machine that's shiny and looks good and uh, has all the bells and whistles and can deliver precise radiation, which really all modern machines can. But it still depends on what you tell the machine, where to send the radiation, to what dose, to what area, and what to avoid also to get the best ratio of effectiveness and avoid side effects. And that is dependent on the radiation oncologist and the medical physics team behind the scenes that programs the machine and makes sure all the QA works. So I think it's important to uh, draw the attention sometimes a little bit away from which machine we are using to how we are using the machine. And that, that is really where the expertise comes in, um, in terms of how, how often someone has treated a complex situation like a mesothelioma um, in a very specific scenario, whether that is treating the entire pleura after surgery or just treating something with stereotactic high-dose radiation or using protons, which is even more specialized. Um, it really depends on, on, on who does it and how do we design it. Um, because all these, the, the bottom line is all these modern radiation techniques are very, very precise, pre more precise than anything we've had ever before and are able to deliver high doses of radiation very precisely, but you can deliver a high dose very precisely to the wrong spot and then it won't help, it actually would hurt. And so that, that, that's, that's important for patients to know and pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. I know there's a lot of anxiety with choice, you know, just like you go to the supermarket and there are, you know, 300 different brands of cereal, but now if this is a life or death choice, but it really isn't, you know, it's not as if one treatment modality is going to be, you know, your true love and the other, you open that door and it's a tiger, you know, e eating you like the old short story. Um, again, like just what Dr. Rinder said, if you're at an experienced uh, medical center that has, you know, a, a, a long history of treating uh, people with mesothelioma, you're going to get good care, uh, no matter which specific modality they, they favor or have expertise in. Thank you. That explains it very well, um, because I think people get very hung up on the different um, types of radiation therapy um, versus, you know, what team is giving it to them. Um, so definitely getting an expert opinion and an expert team, especially with mesothelioma, is um, key to this. 
Um, can you just discuss a little bit, so as of right now, um, how are they using radiation therapy in the pleural space? Um, is it before surgery? Is it always after surgery? Um, and why, why are they using it those ways? Andreas, why don't you start off? Okay. <laughs> um, so continuing with the theme that we just had, it is very center dependent and what a center has experience with. Um, and there's no clear right or wrong that we have at this point. For instance, um, in Toronto, there's a center that uh, does the radiation before surgery and has very good results with that. At Memorial Sloan Kettering, we've developed a technique to deliver radiation after surgery, even after lung sparing surgery, which Dr. Rosenzweig pioneered when he was at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And we've continued to refine that technique over the years and uh, done several trials on that together. Um, where we we target the space around the pleura, uh, around the lung, essentially the surface of the of the lung, with radiation after surgery, and we've had very good experience with that. Now, you know, you wouldn't want me to do the preoperative radiation necessarily because we haven't done that many times, and you may not uh, want the Toronto Center to do the postoperative radiation therapy because they haven't done it exactly in the way that we've done it, and that there's nothing to say that we're not all you know excellent radiation oncologists. But it's just what a center has the best experience with and the most experience with. Um, having said that, both of these approaches are actually among the most promising that we've seen in the literature. Um, I think uh, it it seems to work both preoperatively as well as well as postoperatively. Postoperative is a bit more my area of expertise or our area of expertise. And there has been also a, a really promising study from Italy um, last year that showed that. Um, treating the entire surface of the lung um, seems to be doing better than just giving palliative radiation after surgery whenever it can be done, whenever a patient is a candidate for that. And that is also the theme of our national phase three trial, where we are essentially doing the same, uh, asking the same question in a multi-center uh, fashion in a cooperative group trial by the Energy Oncology. It's uh, the, the trial number is Energy Oncology LU006. And that is the trial where we are nationally uh, asking whether patients who have had surgery, systemic therapy, or medical therapy, um, whether they will benefit from the post-operative radiation therapy to the entire plural space or just being closely observed to really prove what the radiation can do in terms of helping pa patients live longer, prevent the mesothelioma from coming back, and also make sure that it's safe and, and tolerable. That's another big question I get is that why do we include the radiation therapy in on the treatment when you're doing the um, chemotherapy, surgery, and then radiation therapy? Um, what is the goal of that? Is it prevention of recurrence? Is it to potentially get rid of any cells that have been left over that maybe we don't know are there? Um, it, or is it a combination of all of those things? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of the above. So even after the best of surgeries, uh, when the surgery ports all the tumor has been resected, uh, we know that there are still some mesothelioma cells left behind and uh, they have a significant chance of growing back if there's no further therapy. Uh, chemotherapy is an excellent treatment as well. It travels all over the body. Um, you know, uh, hopefully killing cancer wherever it might be in the body. 
but really to, to get to a specific cell um, after surgery, you know, radiation is, is the treatment of choice for that. And all three modalities uh, can work together in that respect. Uh, but if there are cells left in the pleural space after surgery, you're going to need radiation to decrease the likelihood of it coming back, or, or so we assume. And, th and that's what the goal of, of the trial is. To, to that's that's been our uh, impression. But you know, the trial will de definitely prove that or disprove it. Thank you, Dr. Simone. Yeah. Do you have anything to yeah, weigh I'll, in on? Sure. I'll just add. You know that. The focus of the last couple of conversations have been on patients getting surgery and you know the role of radiation to sterilize residual disease or delay recurrences and should it be done before or after. But only about one in four of our malignant pleural mesothelioma patients actually have surgery, either because they have more advanced disease than is amenable to surgery at the time of diagnosis, or you know they may present at a, an advanced age or with comorbidities that, that couldn't tolerate this type of surgery. But radiation still has a role for a lot of those patients. So first and foremost, radiation has long been known uh, for helping with palliation for mesothelioma. Patients can have pain from the, the tumor invading into the chest wall that radiation can effectively treat. They can have cough or shortness of breath from either fluid accumulation in the lung or, or tumor compressing an airway that radiation may also be able to help with. Or even potentially, if patients are coughing up blood, radiation can stop that as well. So. Radiation has a very established role for helping symptoms. Uh, and then we've talked about the role of radiation in combination with surgery. But there are a couple other you know, creative ways to use radiation now that we're seeing systemic therapy becoming better and better for mesothelioma. You know, historically, until the last couple of years, we really only had one FDA-approved chemotherapy regimen to help patients. And now we have many different chemo drugs and, and excitingly, immunotherapy. And so we're seeing people having uh, you know, longer disease courses, and so they may have isolated areas of disease that are growing even despite the best systemic therapy that they're receiving. So we're increasingly using radiation to treat focal areas. You can almost think of it like spot welding of an area if it's not responding or starting to progress on immunotherapy or chemotherapy. Radiation therapy can effectively treat and target those isolated areas. And it may actually help to enhance in being delivered in combination with some of those other systemic therapies like immune checkpoint inhibitors. So you know, many more people than just having surgery may get radiation recommended to them as part of their care. And it, it continues to be very user dependent regardless. There's, there's a little bit more forgiveness in operator dependence for, for low doses of palliative radiation. Uh, but when we're delivering areas to a large uh, chest cavity, uh, or we're delivering very, very high doses of radiation, that's where uh, the user dependence really becomes important. Thank you. That was one topic that I definitely want to discuss was radiation with palliative care um, and in palliation for symptoms, as I think that a lot of people um, don't always look at it um, as being used in that space. And I do think that there is definitely a role for it there, um, especially when there's pain involved with somebody who has, um, you know, uncontrolled tumors or um, are in between what types of systemic therapy to use um, because they're not working. So um, I did want to discuss a little bit more about palliative radiation and where you guys see that used most. Um, and, you know, what kind of those patients look like that that would be recommended for. 
I think it's just what Dr. Simone said. You know, there are a number of symptoms that can pop up uh, when a tumor is, you know, essentially touching a part of the body that can cause a symptom. So pressing on the breathing tube, you can get cough or, or some blood with the cough. Uh, pressing on a bone, it can cause some pain. So that's really when uh, palliative radiation is required to help with that. And, and it's really the best way to get a very quick relief with very limited side effects from the treatment. Um, what Dr. Rimner was discussing a little bit earlier was that we don't, we don't agree with going to palliative radiation right from the start. So if someone who doesn't have a whole lot of symptoms, you know, we'd, 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 I think all of us on this call would prefer a more aggressive approach if we're going to use radiation or wait to use palliative radiation until actually symptoms uh, uh, come up. You know, sometimes there's um, you know, some pessimism with the treatment and, and, and people don't want to be aggressive, but you know, we think there is a benefit to, to uh, a more aggressive approach. Yeah, if I may tie into that. Um, yes, please. I think we've, we've, seen, we've seen a decline in patients seeking out uh, surgical treatments in the last few years, um, maybe partly due to the pandemic, partly due to maybe some nihilism. Um, and I think it's, we, we all feel that it's really important not to lose out on the possibility of surgical treatment when someone is a candidate for surgical treatment. And if they are going through surgery, then also to consider the radiation before or after the surgery, um, which is under uh, investigation, but also that many centers have now experience with um, around the country. And so it's, it's really important to not lose that window of opportunity because we do know that the patients that have done best overall in terms of their overall outlook are the ones that we've treated aggressively with all three treatments, um, systemic therapy, surgery, and radiation. That's clear in the literature. Um, whether that is just selection, the people that can undergo all three do the best, or whether that is really an effect of the treatments, that is part of what we are studying and what we're investigating. But it certainly looks that way. And um, we wouldn't want a patient to lose out on that opportunity or that window of opportunity um, because mesothelioma just by the nature of it tends to progress relatively quickly. So there's a finite window where we have the opportunity to pursue these aggressive treatments that then can really translate into a better outcome. And for a patient that has had surgery, um, maybe they were questioning what the pathology really was. Um, and so they had surgery done. Can they then seek um, to get radiation? Um, you know, if they've had it done at a different center, are they able to then, you know, move on to getting radiation somewhere else? Um, if that would be, you know, what you would suggest or what a, a center of excellence would suggest? I think the answer is yes. First and foremost, patients have to be comfortable with their provider, but we have the same literature in radiation oncology that, that surgery does, that for complex thoracic cancers, there's better survival when you go to centers with a high volume in that disease site. So radiation oncologists that focus on mesothelioma are going to have better outcomes for their patients, just like surgeons who, who do these large lung sparing surgeries, they're going to have better outcomes for their mesothelioma patients. 
I will say it probably is correlated to some extent. Centers that have large volumes tend to have very experienced surgeons and very experienced radiation oncologists. And there is a benefit to doing your radiation and your surgery together and having that close communication between your surgeon, your medical oncologist, your radiation oncologist, as well as your radiologist, pathologist, pulmonologist, everyone together in a tumor board talking about the patient. Uh, but, but certainly they don't need to be in the same center. And if there's better expertise for the type of radiation or the type of surgery that a patient could benefit most from, then yes, they, they should seek that second opinion for sure. Thank you. Yeah, that's a question I get a lot of um, just because patients maybe start with, um, you know, a, a local um, center and then once they actually get that pathology report back or they know exactly what it is, um, then they do seek to have that second opinion somewhere else. But they just wanted to know what are their options, you know, beyond um, if they are eligible to have other treatments um, somewhere else. So. Um, Thank you for clearing that up. And then I just, I wanted to touch a little bit about um, the different side effects. I get a lot of questions about the different side effects. Um, patients definitely worry about um, the pneumonitis um, being one of the big side effects that was, that has been seen. Um, and, you know, the different treatment options for that, catching it early, um, things like that. If you guys could just weigh in on those a little bit for me. I think that's an obsession of every thoracic radiation oncologist trying to limit the side effects because, you know, pneumonitis is like a pneumonia. And, and obviously, you know, people can die of pneumonia if, if, it's, if it's really bad, which unfortunately we've learned in the past two years, especially. Um, so, you know, the focus of a lot of the research the past you know, 10 to 20 years in mesothelioma and radiation has been, how can we limit side effects? So all these fancy acronyms that we use, you know, that we're using in the beginning, you know, imprint, protons are, are all different ways to get at the same goal, limiting the dose to the normal lung and the, and the heart. And, and those, those seem to be the two biggest uh, components of having shortness of breath or or difficulties after the radiation. There are some other problems that you can get, but th those are less, uh, and we take them very seriously, of course, but they're less critical, less, less life-threatening. Uh, unfortunately, in, in all of medicine, you can't, you know, if you, if you wanna be aggressive, you know, we kind of try to drive up to the edge of the cliff with, without driving the car over it. And, and that's kind of the, the art and the experience uh, that, that we talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, and there, you know, there's a lot of data and instruction and literature about what to do with, but I think, you know, just having the experience is, is part of the uh, benefit there and that what we've, what we've been talking about all, uh, so far today. Driving up to the cliff is a good example. I'll just kind of pigtail on that. We have data, you know, some of the three of us have reported that higher radiation doses actually show better survival associations when giving radiation. But we also know that higher radiation doses have more risk. So it's really a, a risk benefit of, of how effective we can deliver the radiation to avoid the, the higher risks of the pneumonitis and other potential side effects. One other one that we commonly see during treatment is a sore throat. Radiation can almost, you can think of it like causing a little sunburn inside the esophagus. Uh, so some patients, especially toward the end of treatment, since all the side effects of 
acutely radiation are, are kind of cumulative, some patients can see a little bit of a sore throat as they go or feel more tired as they go throughout treatment. But the one that really limits our dose and being able to safely treat to very, very high doses is the pneumonitis that Dr. Rosenzweig mentioned. And I think another question is, is there a lifetime maximum of radiation that somebody can have? Um, so if they get it up front um, with the aggressive treatment, um, are they able to then down the line potentially get it again if there is, um, you know, just some focal disease in there that grows back? Um, if you guys would talk a little bit about that for me. So for, for a given area, um, it certainly gets more complex to treat the same area a second time or a third time if necessary. We do it when necessary with very careful evaluation of how much radiation did it receive the previous time, how did the patient tolerate it, how much time has passed between the two treatments. So it's a very highly individualized decision each and every time. Um, I will just generally say that all these modern radiation technologies have allowed us to retreat same areas to a higher dose than we ever have been able to do before just because we the, the, the main concern there is always that you don't want to cause more more and more side effects by treating the same area twice and the modern radiation uh, techniques uh, such as protons such as imrt have really allowed us to spare the surrounding tissue so much that we are able to do it when necessary for a different part of the body, um, there is no real lifetime max. A different part of the body that was not previously treated with radiation can be treated as if it wasn't treated before, usually. Um, and, and, and so that, that is a simple answer to that question. Thank you. Yeah, we, we never say never. We, we, you have to evaluate the situation and, and come up with a very individualized uh, decision. And it's going back to what Dr. Simone said, risk versus benefit. So it's going to be higher risk with a repeat course of radiation. Uh, but if the benefit's high enough, then, then it's a discussion uh, with the patient and, and their family about you know, what the best course they want to pursue is. But we're always going to try to help out, obviously. One thing related to one part of your question that I think all three of us would agree on is if a patient is a good candidate for radiation up front, for instance, after a, a big lung sparing surgery or even a, a lung removal surgery, I don't think anyone should, should think, let's not give radiation now to save it for later. The mm -hmm. best chance of controlling disease is when somebody has the, the fewest number of cells left after surgery, and that's when we can really make an indent in, in trying to delay the time until the cancer comes back. So, uh, you know, let's, let's worry about if or when it comes back, but let's, let's try to optimize the care for a patient here and now. Up front. Definitely. Thank you. Um, and then as far as, you know, different types of mesothelioma, um, you know, obviously the biggest one that we uh, see is the plural. But I did want to talk a little bit about how uh, radiation therapy is used um, with pericardial testicular, um, but it's not really used in the peritoneal space. If you guys could just touch on that for me a little bit. Um, I do get that question quite a bit from from different patients. And I guess, you know, why it's not used or, or you know, where we see it used um, in the other spaces. Let's not all rush to answer. 
I mean, those are exceeding, those are fair. The peritoneal is obviously its own, you know, very specialized disease with with uh, doctors who who you know have a lot of experience and expertise in that. It's a little funny, you know. There's the there's a muscle called the diaphragm that separates the chest from the abdomen, but it might as well be different sides of the universe, uh, even though they're just about you know an inch apart. Um, just in terms of our experience in those areas. And, um, you know, uh, I think pericardial treatment is, is very challenging with radiation, uh, you know, because the, the heart's a, a, you know, a sensitive organ. Um, yeah, I know uh, Dr. Simone has been doing some work with protons, which might be, you know, the only safe way to do that. Uh, Testicular, I don't think any of us have that much experience within with because that would probably be you know you know a, a radiation oncologist who works in you know prostate cancer, testicular cancer. It's very dependent not on uh, what it looks like under the microscope, but more what part of the body is involved. Uh, so, so I, I personally haven't seen any of that. I'm not sure if my colleagues have, have either. I guess I was just um, more thinking of, so presentation of disease is different. Um, you know, a lot of patients think mesothelioma, it presents the same way everywhere um, because that's sort of the tag name for it. But presentation is very different when you're looking at it within the space of the lung versus the space of um, the peritoneal cavity. And that's why radiation has been proven to work much better um, in the pleural space. Uh, it's also, it's just more challenging for us to deliver radiation in the abdomen. Um, you know, mesothelioma, if you compare it to, for instance, a lung cancer, to, to make it very simple, if, if there's a lung cancer in a lobe, you can take out that lobe and you know you, you kind of got it off. But once cancer is in a, the lining of the lung, the pleura, there's no real anatomical barrier. But through the advanced techniques that we've been talking about, we've developed ways to deliver radiation to that entire chest cavity. We haven't as effectively been able to figure out how to deliver radiation safely to the entire abdomen because the confounding factor in the abdomen is the bowel is very, very sensitive to radiation. So we have the same problem in that once mesothelioma kind of deposits in an omentum or somewhere in the peritoneal cavity, it can spread throughout that entire peritoneal cavity, but we, we can't as easily target it. Uh, we can certainly treat masses in the abdomen well, and whether that's for palliation or a little bit more definitive control, but to treat very, very large parts in the abdomen is, is still to this day challenging for us. Yeah, I, I agree with what uh, my colleagues have said. Um, for, for the peritoneum, um, essentially the, the bowel creates even more folds and uh, crevices and niches than, than the, the lining of the lung does. And that just geometrically or anatomically makes it so much more complex. Um, palliative radiation is absolutely still an option and should be considered. And there's a f when then when there is a clear target where we have a problem that we can solve with a local therapy, that's where radiation really comes in and is at its strongest. Um, we have a, a small series of pericardial mesotheliomas, which are of course extremely rare. Um, we're actually just uh, in the process of reviewing them. And um, with, the, with the radiation techniques, uh, such as IMRT or protons, we have been able to sometimes treat around the heart, similar like we have been treating around the lung. But these are certainly very high risk and um, unusual scenarios and um, even more rare than pleural mesothelioma is. 
Um, so there's really no studies that that prove that this, uh, yeah, this is the way to go or not. And and it's it's always a conversation with the patient as well, right? Um, some patients are willing to be aggressive and are willing to you know understand the risks and want to take them and want to do everything they can. And others are a little bit more cautious when it comes to side effects. And so I think it's our job also to guide them through that. We can offer them the aggressive treatment and that uh, we can tell them that this is what we would do or this would be the standard um, uh, to the best of our current knowledge. Um, but it's, it's still always a conversation with a patient to, to tweak it um, so that we are all on the same page as a team with the patient. Thank you. Um, and then I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of on on the back side of that, what is the actual, um, what is the procedure for the radiation? So is there a set amount that somebody gets? Is that dependent on where they're seen, um, what type of radiation you're deciding to give? Um, and, you know, what is the planning stages of that? Um, so, you know, when we've made a decision to treat with radiation in an effort uh, to, to be definitive, so not palliative treatment, uh, but, you know, a more, you know, aggressive treatment, you know, first we do a, a planning appointment, which we call simulation, where the uh, the person comes in, we make, we custom make a device to help them keep still during the treatment. Um, we get a CAT scan and we'll typically get, you know, other imaging such as a PET scan to help us identify if there's any uh, areas that we really need to focus on. Um, and then uh, the patient leaves and then we do all the work that's, that's when the work really starts, where it's uh, many hours of figuring out what's tumor, what needs to, to be treated, because there's a risk of tumor there, and which are the normal structures uh, that need to be avoided. And, and that could be many, many hours of uh, meticulous work on the computer. You know, uh, we sometimes joke our surgery is, is done on the computer, you know, after the patient has left. And then we, as Dr. Rimner was saying at the very beginning, then we uh, hand it off to uh, um, the physics department. And these are people who have expertise, uh, whether master's degrees, physics degrees, or dosimetry uh, degrees, who really spend many, many hours coming up with the treatment plan. And that's, a, that's especially where experience comes into play as well, the, the behind the scenes people. And that can take them many hours as, too many iterations of the plan until uh, they feel it's safe. They discuss it with the physician. The physician says, I like it, but tweak this and that. And there's kind of a couple of versions back and forth, uh, even with the most experienced team. Uh, and then you, then you kind of have a, then you have a final plan. And then it goes to the therapists uh, who are the ones who actually administer the treatment. They're the ones who, you know, push the button on the machine. Of course, they go to school for a couple of years to, to learn how to push the button. Um, it's, not, it's not that simple. And so the, they need to be experienced too because these are complicated plans and, um, uh, and, and to, keep, to, to deliver the radiation safely just as the physician and the physicist ca uh, came up with is a, is a very specialized skill set as well. So it really is a, a team approach with it. And, and if, if, if one um, step is missing, uh, the whole treatment uh, 
can be uh, challenged. And it's very similar to you know, surgery, for example. You can have the, the world's best surgeon, but if they're in a hospital that's not, taking, that's not used to taking care of people after a major lung surgery, uh, it's gonna be very difficult for, for, uh, to, to provide the highest quality of care. So you, you do need the whole team and experience with it. Yeah, when we got the, the radiation uh, program up and running at Sloan Kettering back in uh, 2004 or five, it took us a year of preparation before we treated the first patient just to, just to get physics and therapy on board. You know, things were a bit newer back then, but it wasn't just, oh, let's plug and play or, or you know, let's try uh, this medicine on that disease. It was, it was, a, it was a big deal um, and, and it still is. Absolutely. And about how many treatments are people looking at when they do the combined um, upfront with the surgery and the chemotherapy? Does that vary depending on where they're being treated at? So after surgery, we usually treat in over five to six weeks um, okay. of daily treatments, Monday to Friday, five days a week. Um, and it's essentially like coming in every day for having an x-ray taken. On a daily basis, you don't necessarily feel any immediate effects, um, but uh, you just have to come in every day. And every day, a small amount of radiation targeting the entire plural spaces is being delivered. Um, so, so yeah, in conjunction with surgery, that is usually the course. In Thank you. In the palliative setting, it could be anywhere from a single day to two or three weeks, Monday through Friday. Uh, for these isolated areas of progression, for instance, say on chemotherapy or immunotherapy, if we're targeting with high dose radiation, that may just be a couple of days as well, three days, five days, most typically. Thank you. And uh, then so when, one, one last thing with that. So if, um, if someone's being treated on the uh, national protocol that Dr. Rimner is running, there's a very prescribed schedule. Uh, if, if they're not on, uh, on something like that, there's going to be some minor variation between doctors, like just like Dr. Simone was saying, sometimes we do four of the highly focused treatments, sometimes we do five. I think those are very minor variations, and I don't, I don't think anyone should be anxious about it, and that's kind of sometimes just the style the doctor uses or, or, or what their team is used to, and it's not it's not a, a big difference. Now, if, if someone says three treatments versus 28, then that, that's, a real, that's a real difference there. But the difference between three and four, between you know, 28 and 30, is probably gonna be pretty, pretty minor and, and not, not something to get too uh, concerned about. Thank you. And then as far as kind of what's on the horizon, um, I know Dr. Rimner, you have uh, the trial going on. Um, I wanted to let you guys kind of open up the forum to see what's on the horizon at the different centers. Um, if anything's, you know, we're looking forward to in the, in the space of radiation. Yeah, so from, from just a radiation perspective, we already talked about the, the national trial. Um, beyond that, I think uh, we are all adapting to the ever-changing landscape in terms of medical treatments, as Dr. Simone mentioned earlier. So immunotherapy has uh, been shown to really have some interesting results in, in, in recent trials in the last year or two. Um, and so we as radiation oncologists have to 
you know, again, learn how to integrate into that and how to play ball with that, if you will, um, in terms of uh, overlapping side effects, as well as how to actually optimally combine it for optimal anti-tumor effect. So, um, uh, and, and we've, we've started to scratch the surface with that. There's some really intriguing results that radiation and immunotherapy can actually work well together. Um, we just completed a phase one study on an, uh, an anti-PDL1 antibody um, in combination with the high dose uh, stereotactic radiation. Um, and we also now are trying to combine immunotherapy with the, with the IMRT to the entire plura, which we've called imprint. Um, and so those are two examples of where we're trying to see how the two can really work together. We have to carefully study them. We have to make sure that we don't observe any unusual side effects, um, but we have uh, some really intriguing results that they can work well together. And the, immune, the immunotherapy can make the tumor more visible or, the, no, sorry, the radiation therapy can um, sometimes break up the cancer cells and make them more visible to the immune system. And the immunotherapy can then come in and, and be even more effective than it is by itself. So there are some really intriguing results in that direction. I, I feel the same. I, I think that's, we're, we're seeing how immunogenic this malignancy is for, for good reason. And that's, that's great that we're seeing great responses with immunotherapies and other types of um, systemic therapies. So how do we use radiation to, to synergize or, or optimize the, the medical management? And I think PD-1 and PD-L1 drugs will be the major player. You know, in, in our experience, we, we had an immunogene therapy trial. And when giving radiation to those patients, we saw dramatic, dramatic responses. So I think we're going to see how we can kind of untap the potential of these systemic therapies by giving radiation with them. And I think we'll continue to see improvements in the delivery of radiation. You know, a few years ago, we weren't using proton therapy to treat mesothelioma. A few years ago, we weren't using stereotactic radiation to treat mesothelioma. And now we have two really important tools in our shed that can help with, with different scenarios to either improve tumor control or reduce side effects for our patients. So I think we'll continue to see advances in that way as well. Yeah, and I, I think there are going to be new indications down the road because as the medical treatments improve, and thankfully people are living longer with this disease, new situations pop up where radiation might be helpful where we never had that opportunity before. So it's actually been very encouraging because you know, historically it's been such a difficult uh, disease to treat that now we see people who have, you know, really done much better than we, we ever would have expected. And now, oh, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have, you know, considered doing a treatment, but now, you know, you're doing so well that, you know, I, I think it does make sense to, to try this. And I don't think there's going to be too many side effects from it. So I think we've seen that in, in all disease sites that just the nature of our practices have changed. And I think, you know, mesothelioma is a little bit late to the party with that, but I, I think, it finally did show up, so uh, it's it's very encouraging to see. Very encouraging. Um, they've made so many um, advances and and taken big steps uh, with the mesothelioma, especially in the space of using the immunotherapies and now combining that with the radiation therapy um, and seeing really great results from that. So, 
Um, I want to thank you guys for all being here with me today. Um, it's really great to have this for our patients. I just wanted to bring to light a lot of the questions that I get, and you guys answered those fantastic for me. So thank you so much, um, and thank you for fighting for our community of patients. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. It's a great opportunity for us. Thank you.